out of town. Hello, welcome to the official At The Hive podcast, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you consume your podcast from. I am Jonathan DeLong. That's at John DeLong42 on Twitter. No agent John. And I'm joined by Zach, who can be found at, at the 85 pod on Twitter. Zach, the Hornets are dead. The Hornets are dead, but the NBA playoffs are quite alive, my friend. Quite alive. And <laughs> and to quote a very famous show, I don't know if you've heard of it, Game of Thrones, the dead may never die. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, fair enough. Um, but yes, today we're going to go a little different. We're going to be a little more segmented today. We're going to review the season like we kind of normally do. And then we're going to segment the high five. We're going to do our top five moments from the season. We'll bring this back later. Uh, talking just other top five lists to fill space. Cause that's what we need to do in the off season. And we're going to wrap up talking about Kimball Walker and him moving forward. So we'll start with the review of the season. The Hornets went 39 and 43 missed the playoffs by two games was the final margin, right? Yeah, it was two games. Um, That Wednesday game against the magic, uh, a heartbreaker against Steve Clifford, who seems like he is coaching his, this magic team's butt off. Um, Mm -hmm. And they won game one in Toronto against um, a really good Toronto team. Yeah. One of the hottest teams in the league. So like, before we get into like the deep dive of it, what is your general takeaway from the season? Like, do you think it's a success, a failure in between? Like, what do you, what would you grade it? I guess it's a failure, Jonathan. I don't know <laughs> else to put it. I mean, if you want me to put like a coating of chocolate over a dog mm-hmm. turd, I don't know what else to tell you. We needed to get to the playoffs to prove to Kemba Walker that we can be a winning team to get the young players some run. Um, even if it would be a really hard road to play the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but if you get into Toronto, if we would have gotten the seven or six seed, like like LeBron James is no longer in the Eastern Conference. It's up in the air. You're seeing Eastern Conference teams lose when they're supposed to win. Um, this was a season for us to make the playoffs. And I don't know how else you can see it except for being a failure. Do you disagree? I, I think it was a failure in terms of the ultimate goals to make the playoffs when we missed the playoffs. So in that sense, it was a failure. Um, there is a small silver lining in the fact that we did improve by a couple games on last season's record. Um, I know that's just kind of like uh, kind of an irrelevant consolation prize because the end result's the same. Like we're no, still... but it's worth bringing up. I, I get what yeah. you mean. Yeah, yeah. it's we're, we're still out of the playoffs. We're still picking in the same spot in the draft, essentially. And... You know, it's, it's the more things change, the more they say the same. Um, sure. Real quick, before we get more into it, you wanted did you want to talk about that last game? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, I was there. Uh, we had, I'd gotten tickets uh, a few boots weeks boots on the ground. <laughs> boots on the ground. I, you know, I probably went to fifth, uh, maybe the most Hornets games I've gone to in a season, fifteen or twenty ish mm-hmm. games um, this year. And there are times when you go to the Spectrum Center and it is alive. And even when there's when it's sparsely populated, you see people interacting with it, um, interacting with the plays that are going on, chanting and clapping when, you know, it's appropriate. And this last game, Jonathan, there wasn't any energy in the um, center. Like, 
I thought for sure there'd be a, a Kemba chant or, you know, we're mm. one game away from the playoffs at the time uh, the Pistons were playing at the same time. And checking my phone, my buddy's checking his phone for the Pistons score, and the Pistons are winning by 15, 17 points. Um, just they were dominating. And as you realize that, hey, this is possibly the last Kimba game you can see, like, yeah, the the crowd chanted MVP when he was shooting foul shots, and they clapped when he got substituted out for the last time. Um, but there was no energy in the uh, hive. There was no there was no feeling of, hey, this is a monumental game. We should be in it to win it with the Hornets. And I just didn't feel that, man. I hate to bring that type of negativity onto the podcast, but that is how I felt. Um, with that last no, it's, game. it's the truth and I, I even tweeted like we should people in the arena should start a Kimball walker chant and i got a bunch of like likes and stuff um clearly it didn't actually get to anybody in the arena because it never happened um do you think and I, I i think so um do you think the fact that the pistons just blew the doors off the knicks from the start of that game took some of the energy out of the building like if I think if people in the Spectrum Center know, like, oh, the Pistons are losing, like, there's a chance. Like, I think that would have helped the energy a little bit. Not to say it's acceptable that it was dead, but I do think that contributed to it. That type, I wish that that was, that I felt like that was the case. Because that means that Mm -hmm. they're invested in what's going on. They know that we're one game out of the playoffs. You got to remember, Jonathan, it's Wednesday in Charlotte. Like, a lot of Mm -hmm. people are involved in other things besides basketball. And I didn't even feel that type of interaction. You you said that you wanted someone to start a Kemba chant. I uh, tried to multiple times, man. I'm <laughs> one of those dudes who do that all the time. Um, I got called down by my wife because I was doing it too many times, you know. <laughs> um, the only people I will shout out real quick uh, beside us was an ROTC group of kids mm-hmm. who were all there in the same matching shirts. And they chanted with me like it was 16 kids and me chanting Kemba Walker. <laughs> better, better than nothing. And actually, I don't know. I was going to say better than nothing, but maybe it's worse when it's just like, oh, they're not chanting and there's just not a person to lead it. It's maybe worse when there's just like very faintly up, up in the nosebleeds where you can barely hear it. You just hear like, Kemba Walker. It's like, are they? Are they? Yeah, Is and that they're it? not that's even on can... the same beat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it? That, that's how much they care? Yeah. Um. But the what the our biggest chance though was the night before when the uh, Detroit Pistons were playing the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies had like a twenty point lead on the Pistons, and they blew it. They dropped that game. They blew it big time, <laughs> and they did it on purpose because none of their starters were playing. But yeah, yeah it, it was rough, and it was a rough experience, and. Um, you know, I don't like to sugarcoat things. I don't want to tell you that there was hope when there wasn't hope. Um, but I was happy to be in the building for Kemba's last possible last regular season game with the Hornets. Yes, I could. I can. Like that's something to to cherish if that does end up being what comes to fruition. Um, yeah. So, what was your general feeling about uh, the teams where the team is at? Uh, coming out of the 2018-19 season do you see hope in the how the young players played at the end of the season I do I I'm gonna say I I feel better about the team moving forward than I did at this time last year and I think there's 
more reason to feel better about this team moving forward. Uh, obviously, that hinges a lot on the decision of Kimball Walker, and that's kind of a separate entity. Like, if he leaves, obviously, the teams can be significantly worse. But I do think yeah, there's we'll hope be getting to that in the sure. young players. Yeah, um, Miles Bridges came on real strong at the end of the year. Dwayne Bacon looked like an entirely different human being playing basketball than he did the first season and a half we saw him. Devontae Graham, even though he couldn't really, sh- he didn't really shoot well all year, he looked like he had the poise that you would want to see out of a backup point guard, especially for a rookie. So I think we we saw signs of like that Spurs type development where it's just like there's noticeable improvement from young guys from the start of the season to the end of the season, um, with the exception of of one player and maybe, maybe the key player, the key young player um, of this group. Yes. You're talking about Malik Monk. Yes. And the, the, like, his numbers haven't changed from his rookie year to this year. Um, he's still having, he's still struggling with the same on-court decision-making problems mm-hmm. that he had uh, his rookie year. Even though at the beginning of the year we heard a lot from the organization about, hey, we're going to focus on the development of Malik Monk. We're not going to get away from him like Steve Clifford mm-hmm. did. Um, we're going to allow him to make his mistakes so that he can grow from those mistakes and learn from those mistakes and all year Jonathan he didn't do it yeah and I, there was some ire for the coaching staff because Malik Monk did starting did start getting DNP CD'd by the end of the year but he played pretty much every game for the um to the middle of December like he was he got his chance he got a lot of chances um I think if he played like a full 34 to 38 minutes like a key player i think he would lead the league in passes deflected like he every time he gets in a screen roll he tries to throw this the hook pass over the top and nba players are drilled to put like you know hands high when you're trapping and picking rolls and they just deflect every single one of those passes and i don't know we're at the end of the second year and he was still making those mistakes it's like come on malik get get a pocket pass or look away or something and in that um last game of the season uh late in the game he makes this where he we've got a break he's leading the break and instead of he loves to make he wants to make a highlight pass he wants to yeah. be on espn instead of making a fundamental safe pass he tried to thread this pass in between two defenders to get it to graham and it of course blew up in his face um you're being kind to say he would lead the league in deflection probably lead the league in turnovers you know yeah it's just i'm amazed he doesn't turn over more than he does i can't i think it might have been the one game the second to last game there was a play where it wasn't a fast break but it was kind of like a semi-transition and he had the ball and he was just casually dribbling it up and he just decided like i'm gonna give this ball to jeremy lamb or whoever it was and he just flipped a casual cross-court pass in the open floor and it got picked off and run back for dunk. And it's just like, yeah. like, what are you doing throwing a pass 48 or whatever it is, 40 feet across the, the court, like at half court? And Steve Clifford would have taken him out of the game. He would have never played another game. <laughs> he would have been cut on the spot. Yeah, that's, I mean, and not for no reason. That Like, you shouldn't do that, mm-hmm. like, because you've played years and years of regular basketball. They coaches tell you not to do that and you weren't even that player in college very good player in college but he wasn't the focal point of their offense in college um but Malik had a 
you know, not a great season. Um, I do want to focus a little bit on Miles, um, because although Miles had Miles his, all day, he had his struggles uh, during the season. I thought he had a really good season. Went forty six percent from the field, um, averaged about seven and a half points. So didn't light anything on fire as it came to scoring points in the game. Let me ask you this: Where do you put Bridges um, on rookie seasons for Hornets? Um, where do you see him stacking up in that? I mean, obviously, he's had a better rookie season than Malik Monk did. He had mm-hmm. a better rookie season than Frank Kaminsky did. Um, I don't want to exaggerate anything, but I think he's been the best rookie since Kimba. Yeah, and Kimba's rookie year is tough to judge by comparison because he was on literally the worst NBA team of all time. The black hole. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, his numbers were a little inflated you know, like how Michael Carter Williams was in his rookie of the year season. Yeah. Um, I I think and I'm pulling it up right now. Michael Carter Williams, rookie... by the way, and DJ Augustine on fire for the magic. <laughs> just it's <laughs> crazy to see. <laughs> Did you see the Raptors uh just a real quick tangent, the Raptors SB Nation blog, like halfway through the quarter, um the Raptors were going halfway through the third quarter, the Raptors were on a big run and they like sarcastically tweeted don't worry, DJ Augustine will save them. And uh, yeah. that yeah, that tweet went very viral after the game. <laughs> <laughs> he had maybe um, the best game of his career, but anyway. Yeah. Um, Miles Bridges, very similar rookie season to Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Um, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist averaged 9.6 rebounds, one and a half assists, and made everybody think he was going to be the real deal. Um, he scored a career high twenty five points pretty early in his year since. So there's that. Wow. But Miles, but there again, though Miles is doing this on a better team. The thing about Miles, and it's very opposite of what Malik Monk does, is I think his biggest issue this year was trying to find where he fits, which is normal for a rookie in the NBA. That's you yeah. know he's been the best player. He's wherever he's gone, and now he's not. And he's got to find where it was. Because there were times this year where it's like, Miles, just shoot it or like do something. And then you can tell he's like, I haven't done anything in a while. I need to do something to, to justify my existence out here. And then it's like, Miles, you didn't need to do that there. And it's just... But he kind of found his groove by the end of the year, I thought. And that's regular hiccups for a rookie is trying to mm-hmm. figure out where what role you have on the team. Especially a rookie that's taken that high in the draft. Because mm-hmm. especially a, a team like Charlotte needs you to perform and needs you to perform quickly um be a a strong piece of the team um, I, yeah and i think that his introduction the starting lineup along with those other young players really turned around something in the team and we'll get to that in our mm. high five um but let me ask you what do you think about james borrego's first season as the head coach of the charlotte hornets how do you think he did I thought it was fine for a rookie head coach. Like, I would say it was – I think he did a pretty good job there. I mean, obviously, he didn't do everything the way everybody would want because that's just the reality of life. But I thought, you know, he, he tried to mix and match as best he could. Um, I did like the whole, you know, matchup-based rotations and riding hot hands and missing uh, messing with combinations and stuff. And then, of course, just – handing the reins over to the young guys when it was clear, like something needed to change and it sparked the team on a, a run that almost got them into the playoffs. So 
in all of that, I thought he did well. I do think there were some things he didn't do. We didn't do as well as a team, as he said we he wanted going into the season. Like, we were really far down in pace this year, which is disappointing for how much he that he wanted which, to play fast. Yeah, one of his stated goals was that, was that we were going to play a pace and space style offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't able to get that. Now, we've said before, he just doesn't have the players to play that type yeah. of offense. We created this roster for Steve Clifford, uh, grind, um, high def- defense, you know, slow pace. And then you switch around, bring in a new head coach and a new philosophy. philosophy and that's not going to happen in one year. Um, I no. don't think that, I mean, you know, I, if you were grading him, I don't think you can give him anything above a C um, because although he did bring in those young players, it took him a long time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he finally did, we were really against the wall when it came to the playoffs um, and our offense still revolved around Kemba Walker doing most of the work which is why we brought him in, or at least that was the stated goal, was to make it a more fluid um, ball-moving offense. Yeah, I did. There was one interesting thing I, I noticed uh, today where um, Kimbo Walker's usage was higher this year than it's been uh, ever. But his impact on like on-court, off-court production wasn't as big. So, you know, like the team around him played didn't just completely fall off a cliff when he was off the court, which is some level of success. And that might part of that's just personnel and part of that's just, you know, noise. But it is nice to see that the team didn't completely fall apart as poorly as or as badly as it has in recent years when Kimba Walker took a break. Yeah, it didn't fall off a cliff. It kind of tumbled with a quick pace down the hill. Yes. It, it was, yeah, it was rolling down a hill instead of falling off of a, a, a sharp precipice. Um, here's yeah. the interesting thing about the the Hornets in pace. So the Hornets were 11th in pace in the last year under Steve Clifford with 98.74 possessions per game. That's not bad. No, this year we upped the pace to 99.26 possessions per game. So a small increase in possessions per game. And oh, we, we dropped lower. 21st uh, in, in the league. So the, the, the entire league up. got faster. Yeah. And we didn't speed up as much as the rest of the league did. So I, I will be interested to see how it changes going into next year, assuming the personnel changes. Because like you said, this is a similarities between the Hornets like constructed as they are this year and the way the magic are just constructed with Steve Clifford, where he's having a lot of success where there, we had Dwight Howard last year, obviously where we had a, a post presence and then a bunch of just the longest, tallest people we can possibly fit into every position after that. And it's that, worked. And that makes sense. I think that the problem is everybody that's kind of their goal. Um, is yeah. To have a three and D, um, six foot eight person on the wing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the question is, can we get those people in? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Jonathan, if you hindsight being 2020, they come to you and they're like, Jonathan, we need, what is one thing we can do to change this season to make it a better season? Do you have a, a silver bullet? Do you have something that you think might've made us a better team? 
it is and everything. Did you, you say everything? <laughs> like with the roster? No, like with the roster as it is, like not, you know. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, besides uh, like putting Giannis on the team, I mean, is there something in reality that you think no. the team could uh, go go to the the settings and create a new player that's got yeah. max ratings? Um, I've done it. Don't worry, I've got that handled. <laughs> no, I I don't know it. It's tough. Like the pace would have been better. Like the pace, the faster pace would have been nice. But part of the issue with the pace also is we didn't defend well enough to play fast because it's hard to play fast when you're giving up baskets. Um, so off the top of my head, I don't, I don't really know what, what, what could have been done differently. I know with hindsight, it would be playing the younger guys more minutes earlier seems like the right answer. But I, there's no telling if like Batum or not or not Batum, uh, Bacon and Graham and Bridges play as well if they're thrown. So I don't I don't know. Do you have what is what would your idea be? Yeah, I've got one idea for this and I this was off the cuff. Um I think that there were people out there not in trades, in free agency that we could have gotten that may have been six men off the bench or even possibly starters. Um you got to think Ennis Kanter was out there for 2 3 months. Mm-hmm. Um and I realized that Ennis Kanter wasn't getting minutes in New York and has his flaws for sure. Uh, can't play canner is what the <laughs> the OKC coach said, but yeah. he's not in he's not in Charlotte. You know, if you replace, I know um, you're coming out with an article about uh, some comps between Charlotte Hornets and other players in the league, but I think that Ennis Canner, because he's a playmaker, because he's a scorer, could have done some real damage as a Charlotte Hornet. Yeah, there are some, uh, there are some um, other players as well who I think, but I mean, you don't want to make too many moves, but I think there could yeah, have possibly been some moves we could have made. Yeah, and we're we're obviously, you know, we're strapped for cap space or luxury tax space, so there's a limited yeah. amount of of resources. But yeah, I mean, I'm scrolling through what was there. And like, and that's Cantor for all of his liabilities, and he's very similar to Billy in terms of just like his player profile, like strengths, weaknesses, and stuff. But he is a better version of Billy. And we Perego really tried to make Billy work this year, much yeah. like Malik Monk. It was just one of those like he got. It's like let's let's throw Billy out there as a backup center, and it's just like okay, he's giving up a lot of points. Maybe we'll try this again another time after he learns the system better. And then it's like all right, Billy, go try it again. It's like oh no, he's no still giving up a lot of points and back to the bench. So yeah, other than that though, I don't I don't know, and I'm sure there was some keep the roster intact to try to help keep everything cohesive with the first year in a completely different style yeah. of play. I will say as, as my final thought on the season, one thing that I want to leave on a positive note is that the 30th anniversary, the way that they rolled out um, mm-hmm. the specialness of that, the way that the city reacted to that, um, bringing out legends, you know, Muggsy Bowles is always around for a good photo mm-hmm. shoot. Um <laughs> Uh, Del Del Curry is always around. The way that they set up the arena, the special nights, the throwback nights, the classic nights, I thought that was done very well. And it didn't seem like it was, hey, we're using this to make more money, which they were. It, we're using this to celebrate the generations of Charlotte basketball. I, I loved that for this year. I'll be interested to see if we can take that energy and bring it into next year as well. One thing, is for as much criticism as, as- 
actual basketball side of what he's in charge of. The Hornets have been they kill it on the marketing and branding side of things. Yeah. Like the the new like back a few years ago when they changed from the Bobcats to the Hornets like that they they knocked that out of the park and then like you said all these classic nights and the classic court and the uniforms and all that stuff they like I can't imagine them handling that any better or presenting that in any more of a nostalgic way. And yeah, we're, really one day we're going to air out this uniforms thing. We're going to have our our <laughs> talk about uniforms. It won't be today, but it'll be someday. Uh, real quick, my one question on that. Does that include Bobcats uniforms? No, it does not. And does I don't want to see people walking around. <laughs> Let's not get into this, man. With with, okay. with Bobcats throwbacks, now it's a cool thing. They got the checkered flag. Side. Look, let me tell you something. They weren't good uniforms then, and they're not now. I, anyway. I do think it's funny. I do think it's funny how much Del Curry, the Bobcats brand. Like every time they show like somebody wearing a Bobcat <laughs> shirt or Bobcats brand on the broadcast, he's like, "What is that? What is he wearing? Somebody get get this man an upgrade." <laughs> hey, he knows what he's talking about. That's all I can say. Let's get well, to the high five. Yeah, that's all about right. To so this is the high five. This is going to be our segment going forward where we're going to rank something. Um, it can be anything, whether it be actually basketball play related or possibly uniforms in the future. Um, what we're going to do for this high five is our five, top five moments of the season. Um, I've got my top five. Do you have yours, Jonathan? I have. Yeah, I have five. Do you want to go like take turns starting from five and go down to one or do you want to just like list them out? Let's let's go from five down to one. We can trade them. Like, I'll go five, you go five, or vice yeah. versa. And then if, like, you have something that I'm going to say in my top five, we'll just mm. talk about it when you get yeah. up. All right, so you want to you kick it off while I pull up my, my note with the... Yeah, sure, no problem. So, number five of my best moments of the Charlotte Hornets season, I have to start with game one. It was game mm. one versus the Bucks. I was at this game. I've been at season openers consistently since we were the Bobcats. I love going to season openers. The hope is never as high as that first game. And mm-hmm. usually we perform really well, and we did with this game. Um, we lost to the Bucks by one point, um, but we played with them. Um, Kemba had a great game, obviously, because Kemba always has a great game. He had 40 points. He was distributing the ball, um, and we were competitive with a team that ended up being the best team in the league. Um, and then what I loved is that Malik had a great, great uh, game, mm-hmm. which made you believe what Malik's got it now. He's put <laughs> everything in place. This is going to be a great season. He had 18 points. He was 50% from the three-point line. I believe he shot six three-pointers too, so it wasn't a small amount. Eight, he was four eight three-pointers. Yeah. He, he hit four three-pointers. Um so there was a blue point for the future. Uh, MKG looked like he was a professional basketball player. Um, now, of course, the Bucks, all their starters ended up with double digits, and the Bucks won the game by one point. But even though we lost that game, I came out of that game, and I think a lot of people did. The energy was really high, thinking that we had a competitive chance to be in the middle of the playoff picture. Um, mm. That didn't end up happening, but it was a – I loved coming out of that game, even with a loss, just being like, hey, we can do it this year. Yeah, you've got that, like, excitement that there's there's 81 games to play. You know, it's fresh and new, and then the team looks like it's a legit playoff team. 
Yeah, that's season ahead. Yeah, that's the great thing about the start of the season that everybody <laughs> can be a champion, you know. Yeah, even when even as an zero and one team, it's like, hey, you know what though? We looked really good in that loss. We're gonna be all right. That's that's exactly <laughs> how I felt too. <laughs> I know. Oh, hey, what do you got for number five? My number five is just the uh, the end of the last Raptors game, um, with Jeremy Lamb hitting, killing the Raptors for the second straight time. And then Kawhi Leonard with the buzzer-beating wedgie, and then Miles Bridges just volleyball spiking it, the the jump ball with one second left into like the fourth row, plus a time run out. Just that entire sequence was just it's like Jeremy Lamb beating the Raptors twice in a week. I've never seen a wedgie in a crucial situation like that to where we're jumping at center court with one second left in the game. I yeah. just that whole sequence was wild. And we should say that the creator of the wedgie, the Clippers um, game announcer, retired uh-huh. this year. So shout out to that guy. <laughs> and I should know his name, but I don't. Is it Lawler? Um, yes. Lawler? Yeah. And uh, shout out to starters. You got to shout out the starters. <laughs> the wedgie. Um, yeah. And also that was just, an amazing game. And part of it. And it was also, you know, in the midst of the the late push, which made us believe again for like the fourth time that they had a chance to to do something. Was the that the end of our second four-game winning streak, or yeah, was it, it the was, middle of it? It was in the middle. It okay. was the second game, I think, of the, the four-game winning streak. The second four-game winning streak. Yeah. If we had just gotcha. beaten like, If we can just beat the Raptors, we have nothing but winnable games the rest of the way. And that was – and we beat the Raptors. So I was like, oh, oh man, we might pull this off and run the table. Yeah, and then – the standing started going crazy because Detroit uh, had the sixth seed for a while and Orlando was the eighth seed. And then that kind of flipped and everybody was kind of bunched in there. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge chance that we could make the playoffs. And that might've been a foreboding for us making the playoffs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that didn't work out. <laughs> now, just like you with the, with the Bucks game, it was just like that game, you know, it was like if we can beat the Raptors twice in a row, you know, like we can we can make this happen, even though it didn't happen. Yeah, um, and going off that momentum, um, because it's related, I'm gonna go with my number four, which is that first or that Raptors game that we played before the one you're talking about, where mm-hmm. Jeremy Lamb hits. So they're inbounding the ball, and they pass it to Jeremy Lamb, and immediately Lamb loses the ball. <laughs> it was it was a low pass, but I think Lamb could have gotten it. Dribbles a few times on the court. He goes to half court, and you can see Kemba's face, uh, hands on head, just like, this is insane. And mm-hmm. Lamb flips it up. Now, look, it's not skill. I mean, maybe it is a little <laughs> skill. It's, it's, it's a prayer going up into the universe saying, hey, this is it for us. This is our season right here. He puts it up, it hits the backboard and goes in, kind of like the Lance shot from a few years ago. <laughs> and it looked like, hey, this is kismet. We're going to the playoffs. Obviously, our prayers have been answered. We're going to the playoffs. That's my number four moment of the season is the Jeremy Lamb game winner that, against the Raptors. That was, that was my number one moment of the season, actually. My fa- oh, my wow, favorite. nice. That was my favorite my favorite moment of the season because, like, I, I told you on Did the you, podcast. You almost crashed, right? I, was, I almost crashed, <laughs> but, like, it's one of those things, like, I remember specifically uh, what, like, what stretch of deserted road in northern North Carolina I was on <laughs> and uh, Chris Kroger losing his mind 
and I, the video of that shot with like the Hornets broadcast team and the Raptors broadcast team. I watched that like that on that play on repeat dozens of times. I probably watched every single individual member of the crowd just to react watch how they react to that, to that shot. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was definitely my favorite moment of the season. Um my four number four moment was um when the Hornets bench and specifically Biombo like physically pushed Tony Parker to the scores table to check in while we were beating San Antonio. <laughs> I thought so that was lay it out for us what exactly happened. So, well, first of all, we never beat the Spurs, ever, especially in San Antonio. And we were about to beat the Spurs in San Antonio, Tony Parker's first game there as a not-Spur. We had a comfortable lead, and it's basically time to dribble out the clock. And I can't remember what happened. I, like The ball went out of bounds or something. And Bismarck Biombo and Malik Monk were, like, dragging to go check in. And he's saying no. And then they, uh, they pushed him on there, and he finally he went in, and the crowd erupted. And of course, he got to dribble out the clock, and I'm pretty sure he had tears in his eyes while he was dribbling out the clock. And I just, oh, I like, uh, I like the emotion when when sports and emotion collide. It's always a a good time. Yeah, and I will say, like, people always talk about locker room presence and that someone is a power on the team or an emotional leader. Um, I don't know. I a lot of these people aren't in the locker rooms to say whether or not that's true. <laughs> yeah. um, it does seem like Tony Parker, whatever stats he had for the season, seemed like a glue guy in the locker room. Seemed like someone that everybody really loved and reacted to, especially Kemba Walker. There was a lot mm-hmm. of times when Kemba Walker would like just fall into Tony Parker's chest. Yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely seemed beloved. Like every, especially the guards, like uh, Devontae, Malik, Kemba. Jamie Lamb, like all of them just repeatedly were like, oh, it's so great having Tony Parker around. He's been so helpful. It's been so nice to have him here. And you can tell how much he, how much he's loved by his teammates, by how much they wanted him to go out there and have that moment in front of the uh, his old fans. Yeah, that was great. And, my, uh, and I'm going to stick with the, the sentimental stuff for my number three. And this is the last sentimental one. Okay. Um, when... Just Kim is not even like on the court, but when uh the reaction of Kimball Walker getting named an All Star starter, because I thought that kind of summed up Kimball Walker as a person really well. Like there was no, like he knew he was getting me named an All Star starter, and when he saw on the screen like the Hornets logo pop up and him his highlight start, he did that Kimball Walker like looked down at the floor and smiled and like grabbed onto his you know like grabbed onto his shirt sleeve and just kind of like shook his head, like he's. The most humble superstar I've ever seen. Yeah, I have no Kemba Walker moment on my top five. <laughs> wow. I think it's, wow. Yeah, I know. And I think it's because Kemba Walker is the season. Hmm. We started the season. Our goal was to play well for someone who always plays at 100%. We started the season wanting to play well so we could keep this player, this generational player i don't think that's too big to say for this organization um, on the team you know there there isn't there are a bunch of kemba walker moments a lot of them are bittersweet because a lot of the times when he played his best we lost games a lot of times when he was putting everything out there a lot of players didn't put everything out there um so i didn't have one moment for kemba walker um, although maybe my number one is kind of has a little bit of Kimba Walker in it, but I 
can't say enough about he has been my favorite Charlotte player since Steve Smith. Um, yeah, I, they their attitudes are, are th- you know, 180 degrees uh, separated from each other. <laughs> You're about to do the um, Jason Kidd 360 degrees difference. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But they leave everything out on their their respective playing fields. Um, and I have loved watching him play. And I wanted to see him play more in Charlotte. And you said this on the last podcast. It would be so weird to see him play in a different uniform. Yes, very weird. Well, okay, well, so we my number three, um, we did a live podcast or a live podcast where we were watching the Miami game, um, mm-hmm. and I was distraught. We <laughs> that was a game that we really needed to win, um, and we lost in a kind of horrific fashion where it didn't seem like anybody was involved in the, in trying to get us to the playoffs. And then after we lose that game to the Heat, we lose another game to Philadelphia. And I'm just like, we started this podcast at the wrong time, man. We, <laughs> no one is gonna, no one is ever gonna watch Charlotte Hornets game again. And then we go on this four-game winning streak, and I put that as a moment in the season. It was the longest winning streak we had had for the season. We in this winning streak, you're we're talking about the. Late game buzzer beating shot for uh, Lamb. We're talking about the moment you were talking about where they pushed Tony Parker when he won in San Antonio. We beat Boston on this four-game winning streak. This was when we started the youth revolution where the young players started uh, became starters on the game. And there was a real hope that we were going to make the playoffs, make that playoff push. Um, that four-game winning streak was the best I felt about the Hornets the entire season. Even more so than after they almost beat the Bucks in the first game of the season. <laughs> um, you know, yes, I'm gonna say yes, yeah, because <laughs> I know, always know in the back of my mind, hey, we lost the game, and <laughs> there are no, uh, yeah, there are no uh, emotional wins; there are only actual wins. <laughs> no, that and that stretch is like, like you said, not so much just that it was the longest winning streak of the season, but the fact that it was against, um, you know, got start the Timberwolves aren't that good, but to beat. Boston, Toronto, San Antonio, back to back to back, with Dwayne Bacon getting starts and Miles Bridges playing a lot of minutes. And Miles Bridges was part of the reason for that massive fourth quarter win comeback, or not comeback, but win over the Celtics because him and Kimball Walker basically controlled the fourth quarter. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like that's the the youth movement. Um, do you want to do number two, or do you want me to? do No, my please go two? ahead. What's you already your know number, my number two? one? Oh, okay. It's a Kimba moment. Okay, what is it? it uh, scoring sixty points in an NBA basketball game. Yeah, that was amazing, and I really debated putting that on there. It's just so, and I'm kind of. I wish he got it in regulation because, it like, not that he like he had fifty eight in regulation, which is pretty much <laughs> just as impressive as sixty. Yeah. Um, but you know it it cheapens it a little bit when you see like a 60 point game and you see that little slash OT next to it. Right. Um, just at a glance, but just watching that game. And then it kind of comes back to what you were saying where Kimball Walker scored 60 points and we lost the game, but just watching that and just thinking like this guy is without shoes on is less than six feet tall. Like, and he's 185 pounds soaking wet and he's scoring 60 points against 
a team that has a six foot ten point guard and a seven foot two center, and is supposed to be one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and they was a water bug. Uh, yes, and played like he had a, the ball on a string. Yeah. Um, those crossovers of his, they look like a magic trick. I know it's it's ridiculous, but just the whole thing, just the disbelief of watching him pour in buckets. And I don't remember what the splits were, but I'm pretty sure he scored like 30 something points in the second half and overtime. And it's just like, there's no, there's no reason someone of his stature should be this unstoppable. Yeah. The only reason that that wasn't a top moment in the season for me is that we lost the game and every story out of that game was like, this is why Kemba Walker has to leave. Yeah. That, you know? yeah, that's the frustrating thing about it. But from from my from my couch watching that game prior to the stories about like you know this case in point as to why Kimbo should leave like that was just so much fun to watch so my number 2 by the way he scored 43 points the next game <laughs> 43 points. just averaging just averaging a cool 100 or a 50 was it 51 and a half points a game over two games yeah, just, you know, as a side note, also scored yeah. above 43 the next game. And it was against the Celtics, too, another top yeah. defensive team. Yeah, for sure. So my number two, Jonathan, is that we started this podcast this season. Oh, um, how, how, how sweet. Yeah, we started at the Hive Podcast. I talk about the Hornets all the time to very various degree of interest to all of my friends. <laughs> and um, I have these conversations kind of... Uh, with people off the record and it's been fun to a talk to the commenters both good and bad and figure out you know Mm -hmm. what is the most interesting part of the hornets in this season but also talking with you with your bent on kind of looking at the numbers and looking how it compares with the rest of the nba um i've really enjoyed it and it's given me a different perspective on watching the hornets as well I've also enjoyed it. And much like you, I um, have lots of Hornets and basketball opinions and I don't always have people to tell them to. So (laughs) I'm just like, I just find myself like my girlfriend comes home from work and I'm telling her like, Hey, this is what happened with the Hornets today. And I can tell she doesn't really care, (laughs) but I need, I need to tell somebody. Yeah, exactly. Somebody to either pour out your frustrations on or Mm -hmm. celebrate with. You know, yeah, it's just like, oh, you'll never believe what Kimball Walker did tonight. She's like, what'd he do? And like this, and she's like, oh, that's cool. And then goes back to what she's doing. Like, that's fine. That's the best I can do. So, yes, having the outlet to where to, to talk about the Hornets with someone who's just as uh, willing to talk about it and wanting to talk about it has been, uh, yeah, a lot and of interacting fun. with the Hivers as well. Um, like I said, both good and bad. Any feedback <laughs> from stuff like this, um, I really like just because it means that there are people out there who also care about the Charlotte Hornets and also mm-hmm. want to see them succeed, whether or not they have crazy plans of benching every starter and letting all <laughs> the young players play or firing uh, JB or, you know, maybe Michael Jordan will come back out of retirement, <laughs> whatever it is. I love talking about all that stuff. So that was my, one of my moments was um, yes. starting at the oh. high podcast. And I do and then, to pick it one, one more thing. I do piggyback off what you said. I do appreciate all the interaction we get just on the uh, on the posts themselves when I post the link to the show. Even if this discussion isn't always relevant to the podcast, but I do appreciate 
that mixed in there, there are people that address what we talk about on the show, and it's just kind of cool to see people. Like, I know people listen to it. Like, I see how many people listen to it, but it's nice to see people, like, download it and play it and actually comprehend what we're saying and, like, have thoughts. Yeah, and we've we've changed things and augmented things based on their comments, Mm -hmm. Um, and I try to reference you guys whenever I can. Uh, when we have a subject that comes up that's based on one of your comments, because you guys should get yes. a lot of the credit. Yes. But my number one moment of the season, Jonathan, we had an all-star game in Charlotte this <laughs> that season, was, my friend. Yes, yeah, so we did. We did have an all-star game in Charlotte. After, it was also... after the debacle that was the previous all-star game, <laughs> um, with, uh, politics ruins literally everything it touches. <laughs> Whether Whatever side of the aisle that you're on, mm-hmm. it's just the worst thing on the planet. <laughs> Um, but they came to Charlotte and it was successful. And I thought the marketing was really good with the honey comb kind of style. Um, and my, uh, favorite, uh, basketball TV show had a event at the, uh, unknown brewery that I got Mm -hmm. to go to and I met them and I had a conversation with them and it was fun that the city, I know people complain about the traffic and how many people are in the city with events like this, but I thought it was great. And I thought it turned out really well too. Um, You know, sometimes you have big events like this and, you know, it can be overwhelming for a city, but I thought that everybody seemed to have a good time in Charlotte and everybody's like, is Charlotte big enough to do stuff like this? Can they host (laughs) the DNC? You know, it had no problem doing this. There, there was yeah. wasn't any problem. And the greatest thing is that there, someone like Steph, like I went to a nephew's basketball game one night, and the coach of his uh, little like ten year old basketball game went to Davidson and played basketball with Steph Curry, and he had dinner with the Currys one night just because you know basketball is innate in Charlotte, and it is mm-hmm. something that you know happens organically in the city and we just got to get a winning basketball team in here man please yeah the show that you went and saw say it again guys what what was the show that you your favorite starters okay that's what i thought yeah Um, yeah, they're they're great they're really great they're they're friends it was it didn't even seem like there was a tv show going on Mm -hmm. um like they're having beers with everybody uh, they gave out free swag, and it no one was crowding around them. Like, I played cornhole with Trey. Like, it yeah. was just really informal and laid back, and that's how I like things, you know? That's yeah, that's the way to go. Um, I, I also had a very uh, cool personal experience. That was the first time I've ever been credentialed as media for an event. Oh, wow. For the entire weekend, yeah. So, I got to just feel like a hot shot, like walking door of the arena and like walking downstairs and seeing like like seeing Ashley Shamadi walk around seeing Jay I saw J.A. Adondi everywhere from ESPN <laughs> I saw Ashley Shamadi everywhere um just that must seeing, have been like, amazing man yeah and I who else did I see walking around I just like I saw um all sorts of just media people I assume um, you were credentialed for at the hive yeah, for SB Nation. It said SB Nation on my little my little placard. Um, and getting to sit in the cool media seats where we have like I have a little table, and a place to, like plug in my phone or my computer or whatever. Like it was, it was cool. And I got to go like I went to the press conference room and watched uh, Giannis's and Kevin Durant's press conferences after the All Star game. Like it was a really cool personal experience. I saw two chains about 
five feet away from me on the street while I was walking <laughs> back to my car after the All-Star game. Um, so that's was, awesome, Jonathan. Yeah, so it was I really, can't believe you didn't put that as one of your moments. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kept it more like Hornet-centric, not, you know, I guess I gotcha. that was more of a me thing. Um, yeah. And also, what I thought was really cool, so I work part-time at the, uh, the Johnson YMCA, and I referee games there and stuff. Right. And I showed up to the like basketball games the following Saturday to referee, and I swear every team had like three kids wearing the new uh, Puma um, uproar Charlotte shoes because nice. Puma had an event there, and they gave all the kids the uh, free shoes, and I thought that was super cool. That's awesome, man. That's a so. great experience. I I just wanted to shout out that the All Star Game was in Charlotte again. Oh uh, we yeah. Had a, it was an it was an amazing event when it was done in the '90s, and I thought it was really great this year as well. And like you um, said, I know that we killed it. Like, yeah, for sure. I know that we talked about addressing Kemba this episode. I think maybe we should roll that up into an off season in general episode yeah, going forward. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, it sounds good to me since we've run a little long, and everybody's probably hard, tired of hearing of our voices. By, yeah, uh, for by sure. Now. <laughs> but expect at the Atai podcast um, to publish during the off season. It might not be every week, but we're really going to try to hit, especially before the draft. You know, some of the off season questions, specifically the Kemba question. Um, shout out to the Charlotte Observer's editorial board for oh yeah, Gross. just the worst freaking <laughs> editorial I've ever read in my entire life. But doesn't either here nor there. Um, or it is, but we'll talk about it later. Um, please follow us. Uh, where should they follow you, Jonathan? I'm at John DeLong42, J-O-N-D-E-L-O-N-G-42 on Twitter. And I write on, I'm on at the literally every single day. That's right. And I'm at the85pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, please subscribe to this podcast. Rate us five stars only. Um, thank you for a great season. Thank you for responding and being part of the community. Please continue to do so. Anything else you want to say, Jonathan? Uh, please tell all of your other friends, Hornets fans or not, to also download Do and subscribe to the, uh, to the show. Because the more listeners, the better. All right. Fantastic. Hivers, you have a great day, and we'll see you soon. See you guys. Peace out.